It's time for Security Now. Steve Gibson is here, and we've got questions from our audience. Steve's got answers, too. Our Q&A episode next on Security Now. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for Security Now is provided by the new Winamp for Android, featuring wireless sync and one-click iTunes import. Now with free daily music downloads and full-length CD listening parties. Download it for free at winamp.com slash Android. Video bandwidth for Security Now is provided by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. It's time for Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 391, recorded February 13th, 2013. Your questions, Steve's answers, number 161. Security Now is brought to you by Audible.com. To download the free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash security now. It's time for Security Now, the show that protects you and your loved ones, your privacy, and more online. More and more important, here he is, the guy who does it all for us, our explainer-in-chief, Mr. Steve Gibson of GRC.com. Hello, Hi. Steve. Hey, Leah. Great to be with you again. For You, you were on, I mean, the, on the radio show talking about this uh, yep. uh, problem. This And where are we? I've not looked recently. UPNP. But I'll tell you, are. when you went on the radio show, more than 100 people... 200, 200 on your first first day you mentioned it. You mentioned it on Saturday around one thirty, and it jumped by about 200 then. Wow. Um, that means people who had the vulnerability. You have millions probably of tests, but people who, who showed positive on the vulnerability. Yes. I'm not counting everyone because lots of people do multiple tests and... It would just didn't make sense to try to disambiguate their IPs. I mean, their you know IPs drift and so forth. So I am, I am never double counting anyone who tests positive. But I am not trying to say, okay, here's the actual percentage that we're finding. Right. Uh, and let me go to the test right now, and we'll see what an updated count gives us. It's been it was uh, higher than seventeen hundred when I looked. Uh, I think earlier today or. <laughs> Very early this morning, I think it was. 1,700 people. Now, the good news is those 1,700 people now know that 1,790. You... 1,790 wow. as of this moment. That's 530 more than before you went on the radio show. And I think we were at 800-something last week when, when we talked about it. So. It's not surprising. I mean, you, you figured the people who listen to the radio show are probably a little less sophisticated than the people who listen to this show. Good Although point. that's so, not necessarily a, a factor, but they, they many of them may have UPnP turned on still yeah. in their router. Wow. And, of course, not word one from any router manufacturer. Uh, uh, well, and again, as we said, they're scared to death of admitting any, any culpability and liability. They don't want to, like, say anything because if someone got hurt this way, you could make an argument that, yeah. that you know, this was foreseeable and this was defective. You blew it. it allowed their network to get penetrated. So, yeah. yeah. Well, all right. We're going to talk about so other have, matters today. We have Q&A, right? Yes, we do. Uh, and next week, uh, we're going to have a special guest whom we've You're not taking had. President's week off? 
No, Leo, we can't take any time off where we just get pummeled to death by our <laughs> listeners you. who you, have incorporated this into their lives. It is President's Month. I think the entire month of February we're closed. <laughs> no, 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 no. no, no. no. Um, Brian Krebs <gasps> is going to join us. Oh, I'm such a fan. Now, Brian, we got to know because he worked at the Washington Post writing a security column, left the Post yep. a couple of years ago, still does Krebs on security on his own, and is really one of the best people to follow if you want to keep up well, on what's going on. And his particular shtick that I, I mean, the reason I mention him so often in the podcast is he tracks the underworld. He is got probably, I mean, he doesn't talk about it, but he probably has multiple identities and he's infiltrated that, that aspect, you know, the dark black hacker forums where, you know, this stuff is bought and sold and so forth. Anyway, he, he did a, a really interesting um, blog post about a week ago that talked about Microsoft and Symantec taking down and taking over a big botnet and then using their control of it to inform the infected victims that they had this problem. Hmm. And I thought, oh, you know, we, this, you know, I mean, he's so much in the middle of this. I thought he'd just make a really fun. Can't wait guest. to meet him. I, I, you know, been reading him for years. Yep. That's exciting. Next week. Yep. Next week. So this week, we've got the questions, which we didn't get to two weeks ago. <laughs> we did four yeah. last week, two weeks ago. But, hey, we gave everybody 90 minutes of, of you know. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't a short show by any means. It was just We had other stuff to talk about. Well, and that was the universal plug-and-play right, revelation. Right, that right, was right. the whole Rapid7 and HD Moore, and that had to get covered on that week. So... My guess uh, we'll have a few questions about that this week. Yeah, actually. Uh, and uh, actually some some good stuff about memory hard problems. People mm -hmm. have asked some questions. Uh, but the showstopper is this is, or yesterday was, the second largest Patch Tuesday in Microsoft history. They really? Their, me their mega super Tuesday patch jubilee. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it was Mardi Gras. Maybe it, they're celebrating the, early. The biggest one ever, they hit us with 64 vulnerabilities. Holy this one came cow. in at 57. And, and across the board, both OS and server OS platforms, I mean, both, both work, you know, desktop and this server. This puts OS a little platform. bit of a lie to what we had been saying which was that oh things are getting a little stabler now they're settling down people are attacking other platforms because microsoft does such a good job well actually 32 of the 64 came from one guy at google <laughs> well thank you google i guess yes you know it's ironic because microsoft's been taking pot shots at google with their scroogled ads uh, Meanwhile, yeah. Google's very kindly. And Bing. <laughs> Everyone says Bing, but I don't. I just I get Bing off of my browsers every time it shows up. It's like ah, I don't want, I don't Bing. want Bing. I want yeah. It just sort of seems lame. But yeah. anyway, so IE Office .NET frameworks across the board. I'm not going to go and enumerate them for an hour because you know <laughs> it's just more of the same. They're all really bad, and they're remote code execution, and so patch. <laughs> wow, you know. And this one is a big 50, one. So you said fifty-seven, fifty-seven vulnerabilities patched. Yeah, and when you scroll through the list of affected systems, I mean, you know you're in trouble when the scroll bar scrunches down to about a half an inch. It's like, ooh, I'll be scrolling for a while then. And uh, you know, wow. so that was the case. Wow. Um, meanwhile, 
We have a new zero-day PDF exploit in the wild. Just This just came to light yesterday. Um, an outfit called FireEye Malware Intelligence Lab. I thought, well, I wonder if they tried to work an acronym out of that. F-E-M-I-L? FEMIL. So. Sounds like Femil. a... Uh... A uh, menst- menstrual... Uh, <laughs> or, or an artery, maybe. <laughs> the femoral <laughs> artery. Yes. Yeah. Sounds like anyway, a pill so, for cramps. <laughs> what they found was they found this being exploited in... Uh, effectively exploited in Adobe Reader 5, 9.5.3, oh, 10.1.5, and 11.0.1. <laughs> Just when we thought it was safe to use Adobe products. Yeah, so... And, and quoting from them, they said... Upon successful exploitation, it will drop two DLLs. The first DLL shows a fake error message and opens a decoy PDF document, which is usually common in targeted attacks. The second DLL, in turn, drops the callback component, which talks to a remote remote domain. And since this release, Adobe has confirmed they got a problem. So... There's, and that's it just just happened. We don't really know much more about it than that at this point. But, you know, the takeaway is if you can, don't open any PDFs. Um, what we're what we're seeing is that this is going to be this is being used in spear phishing. So it would be, unfortunately, somebody who is spoofing their identity, sending you something that you're expecting or you would expect to receive or, you know, that sort of thing, like, you know, something relative to your industry and this thing would get you so uh the thing to do actually would just be to stay away from reader i think you know it's specifically it's it's specifically adobe's reader that has the problem so if you could switch to a third party um you know a non-adobe i think most of our viewers have already done so with uh, things like qd ftp or uh, uh, foxit pro i mean there's so many good uh and free readers that i yep it's just that the most non-technical people, just Adobe Reader either comes with it or it's kind of automatic. And or there's the ones... a link that says, if you can't open this, click here to, <sighs> yeah. you know. And get so they're all using it. Yeah. <laughs> get infected. You know, what's nice is most, uh, well, I think Windows 8 now has a PDF reader built in. So I don't think it's going to be an issue anymore. And really? Well, yeah. the browsers are, of course, are hitting All the browsers direction. will do it, yeah. Google's got it and Fox Pro's, or yeah, Firefox. Firefox, Firefox, Firefox is on the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, there was something that initially looked very scary, um, and it was worrisome until it, until we learned more about it, and that was been called the Packet of Death. Um, well, that's a and, good name. Yeah. <laughs> um, it turned out what the first report was that Intel's extremely popular 82574L. Now, that seems like, you know, star date, uh, but... It's not. The 82574L is like everywhere. That's the the very high-performance, beautifully designed gigabit Ethernet controller. I actually went under NDA with Intel. It took a long time, too, to, to convince them that I wasn't going to steal their chip. I just needed to program it, and I couldn't use their drivers. This was back when I was being DDoSed all the time, and I needed to come up with an ultra-high-performance, you know, wire speed DOS prevention. And to do that, I had to talk to the hardware. Um, Anyway, so this chip is ubiquitous um, on any kind of Intel platforms. And many other, like, you know, Supermicro and other people who like Intel will use that chip too. So what happened was 
customers' hardware was locking up tight at the hardware level and crashing in the microcode running in the chip, requiring a full power down cycle. You couldn't reboot the OS. You had to pull the plug, wait for things to, you know, drain, and then plug in again. For, and, and this was happening, this first came to light with one company whose customers were having this happen to them um, on their equipment. And so they, they got their attention. It turned out it was one VOIP vendor's packets that were doing it. And then quoting from their page, they said, problem packets had just the right call ID, tags, and branches to cause the two in the P time to line up with OX47F. So there you go. And they said, so so basically they found out like exactly what it was that was the, the, the bad spot. Uh, and they said, with a modified HTTP server configured to generate the data at byte value based on headers, hosts, etc., you could easily configure an HTTP 200 response, which is the standard response to an HTTP query, to contain the packet of death and kill client machines behind firewalls. So the idea would be you could create an evil server and anybody who, who asked you, asked for a page from that server, would die. It would just kill their... I mean, just completely crashed their internet connection. So they just go off the net. They'd have to completely power down, wait a second, and then power back up again. Um, and the guy even created a test page <laughs> where you do not want to go. Oh. So I just thought I'd mention that. Uh, but then Intel, of course, got involved. And the good news is this is not that bad. An Intel spokesperson says that this is, quote, one case scenario isolated to one specific motherboard maker and incorrect implementation oh. of the controller on their motherboard, incorrect EEPROM image was performed during manufacturing. So it was, just, it was like a weird glitch. They it's burned all... a buggy ROM yes. onto it. Okay. Yes. Yeah. It is, uh, it is ironic, after all, that the, uh, the Intel reference code for universal plug-and-play is the code that is causing this universal plug-and-play issue. Seems like Intel maybe should hire some better coders. Well, but remember, I hold them harmless. I agree, because they didn't intend for it to be put into production. I, it's it obvious. Romper, it was romper room code. Yeah. I mean, it was so it was a demonstration. ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it would, you were scanning for something and waiting until you got to the CRLF, you know, to the slash R now, slash N. Now you're at the end of the line. Just Go ahead. Right off, right just, off into oblivion. Just do I mean, no, no one could think that yeah. was good. Yeah. So, I mean, so, and, and as we said two weeks ago, clearly this was demonstration. This was to, to illustrate how someone serious would write code that would, you know, actually check for boundaries and buffer right, right. conditions and so forth. So, yeah. Um, I did get a tweet from someone I thought I would pass on. I've often talked about having coffee with Stina Evansfard of Yubico, um, you know, of course, famously the YubiKey. Um, she did an interview uh, on Hack 5, 
um, at Rev3. Um, it's on YouTube. And so I imagine you could go to YouTube and search for like hack. It's a, it's a hack five. And then I guess they have an episode number. It's 1226.1. YouTube.com slash tech feed, I think. Okay. And or slash she looks, probably. she seemed really nervous. I mean, I know her pretty well. We get together all the time. She's completely relaxed with me, yeah. but I think she was camera shy. Darren Kitchen scared the hell out of her. <laughs> but anyway, so people can get a sense for it's. It's. I think it's short. It's twelve minutes, and they some girl with bunny ears is on for the first. That's not some girl, my friend. That is Shannon Morse. Okay, of our she works for us too. Yeah, well, she, she does. She was kind of petting her ears there. Yeah, those ears. When do we get or not this, no. sense brainwaves? I having seen her, I'm 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 believing it. And I guess that's not Darren Kitchen. That's Paul Tobias who's doing doing the interview. Well, actually, the interviewer comes on later, or unless you've already Darren is a is a is a uh, is a hardcore hacker. So he's on uh, TNT all the time Ah. as well. So neat, good. So so it's worth watching. There's steam. I I I don't know. I I I saw. I was in a hurry. I didn't sleep last night. I was preparing the podcast. I saw this. I looked enough to sort of see her, and kind of she looked a little ooh. Okay, her hair's a little different than I remembered it. Um, uh, so I think she's changed it. Um, she's, she's, you know, she's well, European. She's, she's uh, on Hack fun. 5 now. That's the big time. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, I thought people who have heard us speak of her so often and know of Yubiki might get a kick out of seeing her. And not a day went by, Leo, after I went off last week about the, the underpaid PR firm <laughs> for Silent Circle that I saw <laughs> another article... This time in ExtremeTech.com, the headline, once again, Cryptography Supergroup Creates Unbreakable Encryption Designed for Mass Market. Oh. And, and they have a team of ex-Navy SEALs, oh. Leo. It's, SEAL yeah, Team 6 is doing your CEO. encryption. It's not just the CEO who's <laughs> a, an ex-commando uh, you know, he's got his buddies there too, just to make if anyone does crack the crypto, they're going to come and visit you. So don't try. Anyway, yeah, this is the underpaid PR firm story. It's amazing. Um, I did get a nice uh, acronym, another one for UPNP. Unplug now, please. Yes, I think that was I, the name of the uh, of the Rapid Seven article, wasn't it? No, theirs was um, unplug and don't play. That's it. That's right. Yeah, yeah, or do not play. Un- unplug and do, do not, not play. play. So that's right. unplug yeah. now, please. I like that. I think that's that's crisp, short. It says so it forth. all. Um, to our listeners who may be trying to download Security Now uh, from my site, I just wanted to make a note uh, that I know all of the audio is gone. Uh, last night, I put the new server online Um I, I'm so tickled with it. I mentioned the architecture a couple times on the podcast. I have four highly over-provisioned single-level cell SSDs, uh, and highly over-provisioned means they're actually, they're actually 64 gig SSDs, but they only give me 46. They keep the entire balance for sparing. So it's that that's what we mean by highly over provisioned. If anything goes wrong, there's a ton of essentially spare sectors to swap in. So I take those four, run it in a RAID 6 
configuration, which is which is a notch above RAID 5. RAID 5 allows one drive, any one drive to die. RAID 6 allows any two drives to die. So with a four-drive RAID 6 configuration, any two can completely go belly up, and I'm fine. Um, then the RAID controller has half a gig of battery-backed-up cache, which has a write-back policy, not a write-through. So the cache stays dirty on purpose, which lowers the write-fatiguing on the SSDs. So the, the cache never writes to the, to the RAID array unless that region of the cache is needed by somebody else. So, for example, anything that's like, you know, frequently changing a certain location in a file... It's not even written to the file. It just is changed in the battery-backed-up cache, and it's safe to do that because the, the RAID controller knows exactly what it has written so far, and if, you know, you pulled the plug right in the middle, it would keep what it's, you know, what is, I think I got 48 hours of, of battery backup at this point. That's awesome. So, That's a great and, solution to... Uh... And it's got double redundant power supplies, double redundant blowers... Um, I mean, already the, the processors, it's, it's got a Xeon uh, X3450, which is the high-end server. It's got eight threads that it runs. And uh, anyway, so I didn't sleep last night. I, uh, <laughs> I, was, I brought the system With excitement? Online. Oh, oh, you were working. <laughs> well, it was both. It was excitement, too. Um, um, I was running Windows 2000 server. That's what I've been running all of, you know, for 13 years. And... Um, and uh, so it was getting a little long in the tooth. And what I believe happened is that there was a subtle date bug in Windows 2000 IIS 5, which was the web server for that platform, that nobody ever found because nobody ever ran it for 13 years. But I did. And it used to go, <laughs> it used to go years without having a problem. And then it began crashing. I mean, I've I've been like... There, I, I I missed the crash a few nights ago. I think it was like the middle of last week, and I we were off the net for like six hours while I was asleep, uh, and I didn't know it. My, I have alarms and everything, but it died in a different way that didn't. So the alarms were pacified, yet nobody on the net was. So anyway, I'm hugely relieved to replace this, and I have to say, everyone knows I'm no Microsoft fanboy, but what they have done. With their server platform, I'm very impressed with. It is, they've modularized it so that you, and and at first it was like different. So I was like, oh, I don't like different, you know, because you you and I are getting a little old, Leo. Uh, Uh, See, I told you. uh, Yeah. But then I kind of, I thought, whoa, you know, you know, they... The modularization means that the attack surface is lower because they're, and, and we've often talked from a security standpoint about you don't want to have things there that you need to prevent people from doing. It's better not to have them at all. So here you're, you're like, you only put in that you, Microsoft lets you only load the modules you want. Um, so it's smaller and lighter weight, um, a lower attack surface. And that's the case for the, for, uh, there's the server platform and IIS. Um, anyway, I'm I'm so tickled with my choice. I'm I mean I'm I I, I bought all this stuff two years ago because I actually had problems once when I was up in Petaluma with you, and 
something went a little wonky down here in the data center. And I thought, oh, okay, I, you know, I, I got to fix this. And so that's when I went to solid state because I thought, okay, you know, I'm, I'm king of spin, right? I know, I know the drives have problems. And several of the drives, I, I'm back on, I think these were ultra SCSIs. That's, that's what the era when I built this was the, you know, the, um, I think the use, uh, the ultra SCSI 320s was the technology back then. Um, and you can't get those anymore. So uh, the drives are dying slowly. I have um, a full redundant server. Oh, and I even have a, a, one of these, a, a second of one of these that will just sit there powered off if like <laughs> the motherboard catches fire or something completely bizarre, in which case I still won't be off the net for long. So, but, oh, my, my point was I forgot to transfer the media. I got the whole website up, all the active content. I've been working on it for a week. Um, Microsoft did change things that caught me out in a number of places where I had to work around stuff. Um, so I was, you know, I had to change my code to make it work under Windows 2008 versus Windows 2000. Um, and then I forgot to transfer all of the Security Now files. So people started this morning complaining, saying, hey, you know, I'm getting a 404 error on uh, on the small versions of the of the of the content because of course the large versions bounce through PodTrack into you, Leo. Um, and, um, and I only serve the small ones. So I was like, Oh, what? And it's like, Oh, that's right. I didn't, didn't move those over. So anyway, I'll do that after the podcast today and then I'm going to go to sleep. Um, okay. So, um, this is the last chance that there will ever be for people to get one of those. The PDP eight kit did go live on Kickstarter, and Leo, there are now only seven left. They started with thirty. Let's see if I still, still haven't seven. bought mine. Well, if you want, no, I will. No, it's too expensive. I'm not going to. Oh, okay, okay. I can't. Uh, yep, it's for blinking lights. You're paying eight hundred, nine hundred bucks. That's crazy well, talk. Well, if if that's who you are, then that's true. <laughs> but remember also, all the documentation on this on this mini computer is online. I have it all on my site. The operating system, OS8, is there. The assemblers and editors and so forth. But if anyone was interested, I mean, it makes a great demo, you know, hanging on the wall with the lights blinking, but it is a perfect instruction set for someone to learn. You want to, I know you've, you've mentioned this before, that your retirement plan is to write a new OS for the PDP-8 instruction set. Actually, I decided that was a bad idea. Good, thank you. <laughs> after writing, after writing those programs, I had enough. Yeah, but you but, don't want to stay up but, all night again. Well, it's just there are too many things that are that for coming from a big a big CISC processor side as yeah. I am. This is a um, risk I mean, processor. Well, no, no, but but it's it's certainly not a complex instruction set. Right. It's. There's it's a the opcode is three bits is what it is it's three bits yeah. so you can have eight different things there's you know jump and there's really add. that's it eight instructions eight instructions yes and so and then and then the rest are the rest is address so it's I mean it is a perfect instruction set if someone wanted for to learning learn. yeah yes if someone wanted to learn it's probably got what a jump a compare an add uh rotate probably uh if you go to uh grc.com slash pdp hyphen eight slash pdp hyphen eight that first page shows a beautiful front panel then scroll down and there i i lay out the instruction set and show people 
you know, what, what the instructions are. But so if somebody wanted to like start maybe with their kids and, Perfect. you know, build, yeah. build this and then write some programs, you can really write programs. I did. And there's also a beautiful emulator on the Mac it's, it's actually, I, I dusted off one of my Macs. See, I'll or, just do that. It'd be cheaper to buy a Mac Mini and put lights on it. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, so anyone who's interested, bit.ly slash pdp hyphen eight. I made a short And you know who you are. Bitly, bit.ly slash pdp hyphen eight. And look over they're Steve's worth, left shoulder and you'll see they, what yep, you're going to get. Worth thir- they're worth 30 because that's all... Bob had there's only there were only 30 of these Harris HD 6120 chips left in the world as far as we know and 23 of them are spoken for now there are seven left and we have 10 days to go so I'll remind everyone next week and then you'll never have to hear about this again because the one way or the other the Kickstarter will have closed actually it's a little deceptive because they have a I'm looking at this a multi-purpose operate instruction which can do one yes. instruction, complement, rotate, increment. Yes, it is. And oh, and it's beautiful too because you can you can do really fun things with it. So that but one ama- instruction really does quite a bit. Yes, yeah. it is amazing how you can combine the bits in there mm-hmm. to and, and so that so that, that that's the one non memory reference instruction. Right. Everything else is a memory reference instruction, meaning that one the the, the fourth bit is says either the other eight are addressed in page zero or in the current page. Um, it's it was it was an inspired little machine at the time. It's my first it's my first computer. It's what I learned. Yeah. It was the first computer I ever saw was a real PDP eight, and I you know I learned how to program uh, in machine language on it and you know assembly language. So anyway, it's there. It's it's an opportunity. It is true. That you could do this if someone wrote an emulator off for the iPad, for example. Wouldn't you that could, be you know, cool? Touch the yeah. buttons and flip things and make it go. Oh, I like and, that. And so, That's a good project. Maybe yeah, somebody see, should I, do and, that. And I have thought about that. The, the The deal here, though, is it's an actual front panel. For some right. people, actually Physical. 23 people so far, yeah. th- that's been appealing. Yeah. And, of course, I have to So those switches, so. <laughs> you could flip those switches. They all work and they all do what the yeah. old PDP-8 did. It's yeah, a if, fully if functional replica. I do. I did have three videos on the site until last night. Um, <laughs> I, they'll come back this afternoon because I demo the the one that I built and show you know show the actual unit that I assembled in one. That's then really I also cool. demo the two programs. Uh, one that is the Blink and Lights program called Deep Thought, and the other one is a puzzle program called Lights Out. Oh, and Bob is going to burn both of those oh, into the neat. into the into the ROM of these. So they will be built in and come along with it. They come so with their you, own you know, built-in game. A puzzle and a blinking lights, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I tweeted this, and Leo, oh my God. Uh, bit.ly slash cool modems, all lowercase, lower C-O-O-L-M-O-D-E-M-S. B-I-T dot L-Y slash cool modems. If zoom in on that, that is a timeline diagram showing exactly step by step what modems are doing when they're going through their mating ritual. Which... Bang, bang. 
Yep. And that you, thing. you can see at the beginning the touch tone, which is a, a two-tone matrix, and so you can see it dialing <laughs> touch tone. This, this is and, the handshake is what they call this. Yes, it, it is the, it's the entire modem handshake sequence. Wow. Stretched out, and, and but 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 it, it, it's showing you the 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 acoustic spectrum, where the various modems are like sending test things to each other in order to, to in order to to see what you know like like to gauge the nature of the channel which is interconnecting them. Anyway, I just thought it was very cool. bit.ly slash cool modems. And I did want to mention, I think maybe we mentioned it after we stopped recording, but a number of people uh, mentioned it, that I misspoke last week and used the word Java in a context where I clearly meant JavaScript. I said, that can't be possible. Mr. Gibson would never do that. I just got carried away with in my enthusiasm. Yes, he knows for, the difference, though, folks. I yeah, I <laughs> certainly do. Yeah. <laughs> So it, okay. wherever he said Java, just put JavaScript in. and That's what I meant, and I apologize. For, yes. I hope I didn't confuse anyone. I um, think people probably understood. Certainly, I got audience. a nice note from Don Edwards in Johannesburg, South Africa, to, written to, to both of us. Both of us got a note, Leo, uh, but it was addressed to me. He's, but dear Stephen Leo, he says, I'm a longtime Security Now listener and SpinRight user. Oh, I should say the subject was... Spinright made a pensioner cry. Um, and Spinright user, on Thursday, a family friend phoned me near to tears mm. because her computer wouldn't boot properly, even after trying the last known good configuration option. Which she almost was starting... never works, by the way. <laughs> no, I've, I've, I don't think I've ever had that work. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's not you know, I think it was Microsoft trying to pretend to care. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, so she said she was starting to panic because there is financial information on the PC that will ensure she gets her pension this year. I brought the computer home, booted up with Spinrite, and it soon found an unrecoverable sector, which it repaired and did its magic. After checking that everything is fine now, th after checking that everything is fine now, that the sector has been fixed, I called her with the good news. She just burst into tears. What can I say? Thank you for a wonderfully helpful utility. Best wishes, Don. And Don, thank you for sharing that with me and our listeners. Yeah. Steve, we're, I've got questions. You've got answers. We're going to get to those in a second. Before we do, let me mention our friends at audible.com, the greatest place for audio books. I listen to audiobooks all the time. I used to listen when I commuted. In fact, I, I started becoming an Audible listener in 2000. 13 years ago, I now have... And this is one of the things I like about Audible. If I if you have the Audible app on your um, uh, iPhone or Android phone, Windows phone, BlackBerry, you can see all the books you've ever listened to. I uh, I can see I've got seventy books from the last six months. If I look for the past year, I have more than five hundred books I've ever listened to on Audible, and they're all available to me. So it really is an audio library. Now, I don't commute anymore. That was when I was doing a two-hour... Oh, look, Adobe Flash wants to update. Go away! I, <laughs> sorry. I will do it after, after the, uh, the advertisement. Because um, you want to always update your Flash if there's anything I've learned from this show. Uh, so what I like about Audible is since I started using them, more than 100,000 titles have been added to Audible. It is the most amazing selection of uh, stuff... 
Uh, Jennifer just told me that she just finished Gone Girl. I've got to read this. In fact, I'm going to add this. Now, see, this is how simple it is. Uh, you just uh, add this to your cart, and if you are an Audible subscriber, every month you get another book for free. That's the gold account. I love that. Somebody else told me that the Honor Harrington books are on sale right now at audible.com and i know steve's a big fan in fact one of the things about well, audible that they've done since i started using uh, audible in 2000 is yeah oh, it's called the win-win sale normally 29.95 4.95 for honor harrington book one and you really own uh, this yeah that's that's in yours fact, yeah robert esplin uh tweeted me he said the lost fleet one through three and honor harrington one and two yeah. are on sale for five bucks at five audible. bucks so that's great tell you what yeah. you can get it even cheaper you can get it. They do these sales regularly. This is They call this their win-win sale, and they have a lot of books available. Oh, just listen to The Witness by Nora Roberts. Great book. Romance novel. Lisa was listening, but I, I kind of got sucked into it. Uh, Reem D by Neil Stevenson's on sale. That's a great one. Stephen Levy's In the Plex, How Google Thinks, Works, and Shapes Our Lives. Are you getting the idea? This is a huge variety, just the ultimate bookstore of wonderful wonderful books fiction and nonfiction, thrillers mysteries science fiction if you go to audible.com actually it's audiblepodcast.com slash security now right now you'll sign up for the gold account your first month is free your first book is free you pay nothing in the first month cancel at any time and keep that book forever the real challenge is what book to choose one of the things audible does and i really admire uh, they do uh, some interesting pro bono stuff. For instance, I imagine, although I haven't seen it yet, the State of the Union speech will be on there. Here's an interesting essay by Stephen King called Guns, 49-minute essay uh, from Stephen King. Uh, it's 87 cents, but sales proceeds from the sales go to the Brady campaign. So I think this is, you know, there's just, by the way, they've boy, do they have a great, great selection of Stephen King stuff. He loves Audible, you can tell audiblepodcast.com slash security now. Sign up for the gold account. First month free. First book free. The only challenge, picking pick that first book. But I guarantee you, once you start listening, you're never going to stop. Audiblepodcast.com. And you know, Leo, yeah, sorry, slash, slash security, security now. now. Thank you. We only do the podcast once a week. <clears> and you so got to listen to something else during the rest of the they've time. They've got six Downtime. other days to yeah. fill. Yeah. Somebody, somebody tweeted me, he said, Oh, decisions, decisions. Audible or Twit? I think you can do both. I do. <laughs> Listen to both, both Audible and our shows. AudiblePodcast.com slash security now. Steve, are you ready? Is, is there, uh, I don't suppose, uh, something called the second ship or the row agenda, R-H-O agenda is on Audible yet? Let me see. What is, who's that by? Oh, I'm, I'm three, I'm 75% through book three. Um, I read the first two some time ago. Second One of our ship listeners is yes. Oh, I, I I'm I'm going to wait till I finish the third book. Um, I haven't been reading lately because I've been cranking to get the server up and and replaced. should I add this to my? Um... Oh, it's I, I, wait wait till you. I, it may not be for everyone, um, but it's really fun. Three all, high school all three teenagers. books of the Row Agenda are on. Oh. <laughs> Well, if anyone wants to jump ahead, there they are. The second ship. Um, uh, uh, shoot, what's the third title? The second title is... The second ship, Wormhole, is book three. Second book, book is... Three. Let me find it. I have it here. These are all three of the Royal Agenda. Uh, the second one is Immune. 
Yes. yes Second yes, ship, yes. immune and wormhole. The R, and yeah. Roe is R-H-O. That's why I didn't find it right away. Yes, That's in R-H-O. the Greek letter Roe. Uh, it's I really had fun. In fact, uh, is it yeah, for kids? It was, is it a, is it a young person's book or is no, it? No, it's not. It's kind of dark and adult. Um, I I I, re, I recounted it's got great some of reviews. It Jenny the other day, and she said, "Ooh, that's you know, that's a little creepy." I said, "Oh yeah, it gets a little dark." But three high school teenagers find a <laughs> an st- alien, obviously alien, yeah, uh, UFO, a starship, and. Uh, Put some headbands on, and I'm not giving anything away because this happens right off the bat, and it starts to change them. I love it. And, I love it. I'm buying yeah. it right now, just and, from what and you it's described. Really fun because it turns out that 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 two ships crashed and they were doing battle when they crashed into the earth because one is bad and one is was trying to stop the bad. Oh boy. And the government has the bad one. And is and then was releasing the technology and oh anyway it's I, I so what happened was I read the first two not knowing that the series wasn't finished and I came to the end and it's like uh, uh, what happened to us and with Peter I, Hamilton that's it's oh. just, exactly so I won't do it now if I know but um uh but anyway so when the third one came out about two months ago I thought okay well I got to reread the first two so I cruised through the first two and then plowed into wormhole the the conclusion and oh it oh oh (laughs) (laughs) all right i I put it on my list all right it's not not peter hamilton it's it's not mccullum but it is really fun and it's a completely new concept it's not any kind of a rehash of stuff we've we've seen before so and if it's on audible there you go that's there's three there's there's i think people will like it the second ship the Row Agenda, book one. The author is Richard Phillips with two L's. All right. Now it is time for Q&A. Ah, okay. wonder if I should install Flash before I do, <laughs> before I do that. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. It always makes me nervous when I see a Flash update. It's like, oh, I better do that, huh? I wonder, that's kind of an ASCII code because he put, he put something and then an it on the end. So oh, you mean talking about the first question? Yeah, I don't know what that is. That's a let me let me look at that's it. That's an ASCII twenty three in hex twenty three hex. That's his. Uh, you're talking about his Twitter handle. Yeah. Zero zero one zero 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 one one it. Yeah, so that's twenty three in in hex twenty three it. What is the ASCII uh, for? That's going to be a control code because it's less huh. than thirty two. Interesting. Well, we leave this as an exercise for the uh, ah, for the yes, listener. Yes, we do. We might as well we actually will absolutely give you the answer <laughs> at zero zero one zero 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 one one. It says in episode three eighty seven, you said you had four solid state drives in RAID six. RAID ten would give you the same size volume with much better performance, and the mirror is safer. Why don't you use RAID ten? Because he's wrong. Oh, um, RAID ten is a combination of striping and mirroring. Um, RAID RAID 0 is striping, where the idea is you split the data across two drives where you can sort of think of like all of this. We figured it out, by the way. Oh. 23 hex is ASCII for the pound sign. We believe his handle is pound it. Ah, very nice. That makes sense. And it's just vaguely filthy, which yeah, makes it <laughs> makes it seem appropriate. Go ahead, please. 
And only someone who's, you know, sufficiently geeky is going to get that. So everyone's going, what the heck is that? Zero, zero, one. Anyway, so um, uh, RAID zero is striping, meaning that you take how you, you take the size of the drive, if you had two drives that are identical size, and double it, and then you, you sort of spread the data across both drives. That gives you performance because, for example, if the drives are, well, you're able to read and write to both at once, you get twice the read and twice the write performance. The problem is it's, it's lower reliability because if either drive dies... You lose everything. All right. You don't want that. So, no. That's what so we call raid. scary raid. <laughs> so, well, but, you know, back in the day when drives were small and people wanted more storage, they would, you know, and they had faith. Is it, or- is it the case, um, and uh, I've been saying this, so I hope it is, that if you have two drives striped, you have twice the chance of failure. You're multiplying Perfect. the chance of failure of each drive, actually adding. Correct. So it's twice as likely to fail. Three Correct. drives would be three times as likely to fail. Oh, yeah. Three drives give just any just one drive. Any one drive dies, the whole raid dies. You lose it all. So that's why I call it. And Alex Lindsay gave me the name Scary Raid. Scary Raid. So raid that was raid zero. Raid one is also called mirroring, where you, this gives you complete, complete safety against either drive dying. So you you write to both and you read from one. And if for some reason you can't read from that one, you read from the other one. So you get you have redundancy. So RAID 10, it's think of it as a one and a zero, meaning that both striping and mirroring are going on. RAID 10 is four drives which are mirrored and where I should say are striped and mirrored. So you get you get the performance benefit of the striping and the redundancy benefit of the mirroring using four drives. But it's not safer because think about it. The way I have mine set up with RAID 6, any two drives can fail and I'm fine. But in a RAID 10... There are several combinations of two that take you out. That is, if if the if two that were striped and mirrored die, it's as if you know. You, well, you're you're hosed. So there are what is that? A one, two, three, four, five, six. There are six combinations of two drives, which, well, there are six combinations of two drives in a set of four, and. And two of those six possible pairs of failures would would take you out. So much less safe than RAID 6. However, it is higher performance. He's right about that. RAID 6 incurs some, some performance hit because um, it's doing some math on the data that it writes to the drives in order to create that redundancy. I don't see that. Because the RAID controller has half a gig of battery backed up cache. So um, so the, the RAID controller buffers and only writes if it, and it's a write back policy rather than a write through policy. So anyway, it's, it's very good performance. And I just don't want to mess with. Well, and the other thing that, that I, I should mention is my, my when I'm looking at the drives, they just kind of flicker every so often. 
you know, I'm in a huge data center and I've looked at other people's servers and I'm thinking, what are they doing? I mean, the drives are just going crazy. I mean, just nonstop. Um, mine, I, I'm, I have to sit there and wait to see them flicker to sort of make sure that that everything's still working right. So anyway, that's why six RAID 6 is a... Uh, is superior from a reliability standpoint than RAID 10, but agreed at a cost of performance. Question uh, two comes to us from John in Arizona. He's he's wondering about whole disk encryption on uh, solid state drives. Actually, we've talked a little bit about this before. It is a, it is a question I have as well. I've stayed in mechanical hard drive world using whole disk encryption with TrueCrypt on laptops. I'd like to enter the SSD world on Windows XP or 7, could you explain how you can have the same level of trust no one using whole disk encryption on a solid state drive uh, uh, using something like TrueCrypt? Owner of Spinrite since November 2010. Thanks for your response. So this was an interesting question, and I, I wondered if other people might be similarly confused because you can use TrueCrypt Doesn't on matter. an SSD. Okay. Yeah. The, the software, the whole disk encryption technology doesn't care what the underlying technology is, whether it's magnetic or, or electrostatic, essentially, is what an SSD is. Uh, it just doesn't matter. So uh, He might be now, confusing. Now, there is an issue with, uh, with uh, secure wiping an SSD, right? Uh, Maybe he's confused. Actually, there is not. Oh, there's because, not. Because, remember, that, because that, that there's also, there was a similar concern with wiping a hard drive because right. hard drives spare sectors in the same way that SSDs oh, okay. spare chunks. Remember that the secret is run true crypt before you ever put any data on the drive. Ah, that way so it will you always never, be scrambled, never in yes, the clear. You never have any, I mean, any spares that got spared out will be encrypted and it's just full of random noise. Okay. So that's the key is don't add true, true crypt to an already set up system, you know, make an image of of some of like a, of your current drive, set up TrueCrypt on this, and then restore that image to the TrueCrypted drive so that your so that that drive never is unencrypted. But yes, you can absolutely use TrueCrypt uh, on an SSD. In fact, you know, I do. Question four is from Geek Power, spelled in Leet. In Stanton, California, he wants to know about private email. Dear elders of the internet, I love your show. Own Spinrite, blah blah blah. And I got a kick out. I guess you and I, Leo. I told are you, the, the elders of the internet. I said it yeah. when before the show began. <laughs> I have crossed the Rubicon into old age. I am now an elder. Since uh, by the and I, you know how I know that because every Thursday when I go over to the supermarket over there, I get a senior discount, ten percent off. Yeah, I get a discount on the movies now. At first, yeah. I was sort of. Uh, Walking at that, but it's like, hey, wait a minute! I'll, I'll take save it. a couple bucks. What the hell? Yeah. We are the elders of the internet, at least according to the movie. And uh, hey, I got industry. switches. I got switches and blinking lights behind me to prove it. <laughs> I, You're a PDA, I, PDPA I, programmer. That makes you an I elder. Actually, used those in the old days. Yes. Since the Matt Hogan, he says Hogan, but it's Honan incident. I've been yeah. wondering what the best host would be for an anonymous email account, so I could use it to register all my other accounts. I've tried S Mail. I don't know that, s-mail.com, but they deactivate any free account after 30 days. I'm looking for something that I don't have to pay for because it's very complicated to pay anonymously. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. 
I don't mind ads, as long as they're anonymous, like on TV and radio. They don't know anything about me, except they're probably reaching people. He's talking, maybe he's thinking about this Scroogled campaign from Microsoft, in which Microsoft says, Google, read your email. Uh, <coughs> of course they do, as does Microsoft. Uh, Google and Microsoft both have to read your email to provide anti-spam filtering. Yeah. What Google well, and, does is they use it to do target. Uh, well, Microsoft, targeting. and this is what Microsoft should be saying: we both read your email, but Google uses it to target ads. We just use it for spam fighting. <laughs> Google understands it, and we don't. Right. Maybe they understand. <laughs> I think it's a little bit of fud because it really comes from this notion that reading your email is a human reading it, and and with a human understanding, it's not that. It's not. It's hey, not we that. can't even agree on whether you're reading books, Leo. So <laughs> what is reading email? Exactly. In my opinion, indexing keywords in an email does not the same thing as some human reading it and making sense out of it. But nah. and you could tell that because the contextual ads on Google's Gmail suck. They don't. They have nothing to do with anything. Even, and Microsoft even makes this point in the ad. Look, see, uh, you know, you met, you use the word mortgage, so you're getting mortgage ads. The ads don't work. I think that to me that that's an evidence that, yes, they're scanning email for keywords, but it's not reading your email in any sense that we understand. Anyway, so he's my worried about people is, reading his email. And my question to you is, do you know of any free anonymous email systems? Yeah. And I guess he doesn't, he doesn't like Google. Or well, if you don't want to use to, Google, use Yahoo or, or, or um, Microsoft's Outlook, both of which well, are free and anonymous. I, I, I think following from, from Matt's experience, he wants to use Google, for example, for his main, you know, everyday use account. Right. But he wants his registered email, you know, key right. recovery and password recovery to be somewhere completely different and to be anonymous, you know, well, to also be free. So the first thing I would say is that any email system that offers anti-spam protection is reading your email just the same as, as Google is. Uh, you know, you can decide whether that bothers you more than, you know, if what you're saying is I don't want targeted ads, Outlook or, hot, or a hot, Hotmail slash Outlook or Yahoo Mail, I think Yahoo Mail. Maybe. I think all he's saying here is he just wants to be anonymous. It, it, well, that's an, those and Gmail's anonymous. And I mean, you, your IP address is is, well, is visible well, to any remember, website you visit. The idea is he wants to use Gmail for his main account, so he I needs understand. a an off off the beaten path sort of you know. Well, like I, I said, Outlook.com and ah, right and uh, and Yahoo a Mail, uh, but it, it all all web based email sees your IP address unless you're using I, I Tor. I think I stay away from Yahoo. Yahoo uh, Yahoo seems to be having a real problem lately holding on to their accounts. This is one I've used in the past, and I, you know I, Phil Zimmerman uh, set this one up. It's called Hush Mail. Oh yeah, sure. It's HIPAA compliant private business email. Um, they they provide PGP encryption is built in. Uh. You have to pay for it, which means it's not fully uh, anonymous. See, this is the, this is this is why I don't like the Scroogled campaign because I think it conflates a lot of different concepts. When you say anonymous, is it not the case, Steve, that your IP address is visible to anybody you visit? Yep. And yep. if a federal law official uh, and ISPs are being required now to log, oh yeah, but so, well, okay. So let's just talk about the email first. They're all subpoenaable, so they yep. can get your IP address and then go to the ISP and say who was using this IP address at this time, and the ISP says yep. well, whatever you want. But absolutely, you make a very good point, which is that ISPs are in many cases, they're not yet required to, although they will be soon, I'm sure, recording everything you do anyway. 
So really, all they have to do is figure out what ISP you're using, and then they go to the ISP and say, tell us everything about Leo. And the ISP, in most cases, unless you have a very good ISP, but if you have the you know, Comcast or the standard ISP, we'll say, yeah, whatever you want to know. Sure, sure, sure. Here you go. So uh, I think there, I think if you really, if you really want private email, <laughs> it's a little more complicated than you might think. Maybe lick a stamp, Leo. Yeah, I don't know how private that is either. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, the truth is, if you're using encryption and Tor, you're pretty good, right? And because Tor would give you some anonymity about your IP address, not yeah, perfect. That's a very, that's a very good point. Running through Tor solves a problem. So you could use Tor and Outlook.com. Right. I think Outlook sounds <clears throat> seems, seems like a reasonable free alternative to use as your as your repository for password account. Tor is not perfect either because the uh, the ends have been in in the past subpoenaed, but it's better than it's probably pretty good, right? Nothing's yeah, perfect. and and it, it's the people who are you know running mega downloads of of really noxious content that draw attention to themselves through Tor, not somebody who's you know connecting to an SMTP server somewhere. So, and further, we should point out if you use an internet service provider, you probably busted no matter what you do. Um, and so, really, anon anonymity on the internet, I don't know. I don't think that's really. Uh, it's 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 being lost. Yeah. So yeah. anonymity means getting off the grid, not using only cash, not using the internet, not living anywhere where there are cameras of any kind. You pretty much have to move to the woods and be a survivalist if you really want to be anonymous. Um I I don't I I agree we we all deserve privacy, but I doubt we're going to get it. So the problem with uh, with things like Scroogled is there's some sort of implication that Microsoft is doing a better job of privacy. I don't I don't think that's the case. Where does, is, what, what is Scroogled? Is oh, that the name of the you campaign? don't know about this. Yeah, there's a whole Microsoft campaign oh. called Scroogled. It's Scroogled.com, but there I just saw a t TV ad for it, so they're actually advertising now as well. Yeah, and they have a domain. Yeah, and what they're yeah. telling people, the Scroogled started with something not completely wrong, which was that Google Shopper, which used to be a search result, is now all paid ads. That's legitimate. That's something people probably should know. Yeah. Uh, but now they're saying, and by the way, Google reads your email. They've been saying this for a while. Gmail, man, reads your email. And it's really FUD, and I think it's kind of unfortunate because um, two for two reasons. One is it plays upon people's fear of technology. And the and the anthropomorphizing of technology. Yeah, and so Microsoft is being hurt to some degree by that. It's a too. dumb thing. Yeah, exactly. It's dumb, yeah. and it has the implication that somehow you're more private with uh, Outlook Mail, which is not the case. The only <laughs> difference is Outlook Mail doesn't use keywords to target ads, right? But it's still reading your mail. It has to. There's no, that's the only way you can do spam fighting. If yeah. you know, if reading quote is what you're worried about. Paul Vine, Seattle, Washington. Thanks for the job. He says Stephen Leo. I started listening to the show about a year ago, and I have you to thank for a computer security internship I just got. Right on, Paul. Yeah. The phone interview questions were all about SSL and SSH, what their vulnerable points were, and different types of attacks that could be performed on them. Halfway through the interview, I realized just about all my answers were coming from what I'd learned on security now. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for a great show, and keep up the good work. Isn't that nice? Uh, it was very nice. I just sort of tossed that in because I thought that was, that was cool. Here's a, another kind of thank you from Joseph in Los Angeles. He says, thanks for recommending DigiCert. I switched from Komodo to DigiCert. Komodo wanted $1,616 $1, 
for my three certs. DigiCert wanted like half that. You saved me $837. The EV validation process was pain-free, and the installation instructions were easy to follow. Start to finish was less than four hours, including going to lunch. <laughs> I like anything that involves lunch. I even had to call their tech support because of a mistake I'd made when ordering. They walked me through how to correct my mistake. Thanks so much for letting your listeners know about your experience, Joseph. And I wanted, I saw this and I thought, good, that gives me a segue because I had yet another amazingly positive experience. This new server that I was talking about having set up is running, is on Windows 2008 um, and IIS 7, whereas the the creaky old one that finally died uh, was IIS 5. Well, the certificates are incompatible. And so here I was, I think it was maybe Thursday night, maybe Friday night. It was after 5 Pacific time. So, you know, even if, I don't know where DigiCert is, maybe they're in the Pacific Northwest. I, kinda, I don't remember. But, but, I mean, it was after hours. And I sent email to Todd, the guy that, that I'd worked with before. And I said, Hey, um, I see how I can reissue things, but I absolutely want to make sure that that doesn't revoke the existing certificates because we're using those right Good now. Point. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I don't want to press the wrong button. And, um, and then I kind of poked around their website and I saw where they had made it very explicit that they would always warn before do anything would happen that would revoke, um, you know, existing ones. And one of their cool policies is you buy one certificate and you can use them on as many servers as you want. Now, that may not help many people who only have one server. But in my case, I needed to straddle. I needed to set up the new server with different certificates for the same domains. Anyway, the whole thing was like 10 minutes for three different, two EV and one standard certificate. I used their web interface. I, I recreated certificate signing requests on IIS 7. I dropped them into the website, pressed a button, um, and it emailed me my results. It was like, oh, 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 it's just amazing. And it's like, this is the way, it's like a little certificate factory. This is the way it ought to be. And I've never understood why no one else can get it right. These guys really do. Oh, and my, my point was that after I was about halfway through that, I got email back at like 545 from this guy. He said, hey, Steve, I'm no longer doing customer service. I'm over in something or other. But I saw your note and wanted to, you know, respond. Yeah, great. I thought, wow, this is, you know, DigiCert, cool. D-I-G-I-C-E-R-T. They're the guys. These are, these are expensive. Are these the extended certif certificates, extended SSL? Yes, That's the why EV. they're so expensive. Yeah. Yes, and the EV, you get, you get your root domain and your www for free, oh, nice. and two other wild cards. So you can so like I have, I have like images.grc.com uh, or something. Right? It, well, exactly, and yeah. and in my, in my case, media.grc.com. Um, they are all they all live in in one, and then uh, I have I have my lower quality one is grctech.com, which is only used as a third party. Uh, for cookie checking to in order to try to get cookies set by third parties, so it had to not it had to be in a non um, non similar domain. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this non technical respite because now we go to question <laughs> seven, and things get hard, specifically hard memory. 
Christian Bassen in Cape Town, South Africa, asks of memory hard problems. Does it scale? Long-time listener, love the show, really appreciate the easily digestible chunks and resources you produce. That's a little disgusting. After uh, listening... Digestible <laughs> chunks, yeah. I hope, hopefully they're not chunky when they come back. After listening to the recent episode covering memory hard problems, I couldn't help but think, does it scale? How practical is the solution for a web farm churning through many authentication requests a minute? Could you perhaps explore this practical aspect of trying to implement this at scale? Thanks again for a great show. Christian. So it's a great question. And I, I, I've got two memory hard questions here because it generated a lot of interest. I just couldn't even put them all in one podcast or we just have had the memory hard question podcast. Um, consider that, consider the life cycle of your involvement with a web server. That is, how much real time is used in it validating your password versus how much time you're spending there. So, you know, you enter your username and password, and if it has to do this memory-hard function that takes, you know... A second. I mean, that's all we're talking about, a second. And I understand that hashes, you know, we see the Bitcoin guys talking about giga hashes per second, billions of hashes per second. And they're like at 50 giga hashes per second, 50 billion hashes per second. Imagine, though, that a memory hard system can only do one a second. It takes a whole second. So this is 50 billion times slower and there's no way to speed it up. So that means that that any hacker is going to be going to run 50 billion times slower. So, you know, it's achieved its goal. And my point is that yes, a second is a long time on the server end to spend, but that's the cost of offering this security, but in terms of the user's life with their login session, it's nothing. I mean, you know, how we, when we log in somewhere, we're poking around for, you know, a minute or two maybe. Um, and so my, my point is that despite the fact that that's much more than a 50 billionth of a second, it's a whole second, it still works because the total population of people visiting that 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 server farm will all be spending one second yet hanging out there for minutes and so it does scale and it's sort of like in just the right way beautiful a lovely thing question eight from jason crow rochester minnesota he's wondering also about memory hard problems <laughs> Obviously, a, a coder. You, you you have a problem with that whole. Uh, he's a coder. Well, he's got problem. a block here. A begin obligatory comment block. Uh, oh, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Since the beginning, blah blah blah. Bright spot in my life. Blah blah blah. Please never stop. Blah blah blah. Spin right user. Blah blah blah. End obligatory comment block. <laughs> I think you need a for while loop here, actually. <laughs> while still smiling. I really enjoyed your explanation of memory hard problems in episode 388, and I have a question. Would it be possible for the pipelined FPGAs to access some kind of shared mapped memory or shared page file, which already had the required 
memory hard problem contents mapped into it. In other words, work on the same pool of data. Right. If so, couldn't the first FPGA be, for lack of a better term, the super FPGA, the only one with the needed memory, which is part of its dedicated function, is the only FPGA which creates and then stores the contents of the memory to a location, which the following FPGAs then access. It's, it's sure to be still much slower than each FPGA having its own memory, but I would think it would be much faster than each FPGA recalculating the needed contents of the memory space every time it's required. In an extension to this, couldn't each memory address space retrieval then also be pipelined? This is, isn't something we'd put in our living rooms, but perhaps not out of the realm of possibility for a nation state. Now, I, nowadays, with cheap hardware, probably anybody could do this. Your thoughts? This is Clustering. Jason Crow, Rochester, Minnesota. And the answer is no. No. Um, what's so cool about this, I, I just I love how simple and elegant this is. Remember that you take a region of memory and you you use the password to you just hash it for example in a standard hashing uh hash to get a uh the first value and you stick that in the first location of memory then you hash that using the again the the password the password as the key and that and you stick it in the second slot of memory and you do it again for the third and again for the fourth and again for the fifth so what you end up with is pseudo-random noise in this array. But then, okay, and so what he's saying is, what couldn't you do like a super FPGA to just sort of blast that out? Now, then, he somehow wants to do the next step in parallel. And the beauty of this is you can't. Because you then take the result from the final memory cell that you filled... You hash that, and that you treat as an address into the array. And the contents of that address you hash, and that gives you the next address. So there, the, you, there's nothing to do in parallel. You, only, it, you, you have to follow a path. It's a little bit like my off-the-grid approach using the Latin squares. You, it's, you have to follow a path, and the contents of each memory cell tells you, mixed with the key that, you, that is the master key, only that gives you the next location in memory. And then only when you know that do you have the next one. So it's, it's provable and incredibly elegant that you, 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 there's nothing you can do in parallel. You you don't know you don't know anything until you have the next the next um, the the data in the cell you 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 jump to and then its contents not its location its contents tells you where to go it's it just it's beautiful and no one has figured out any way to speed it up it's it's I it's great that's the point yeah exactly. Uh, a reminder about something we talked about many moons ago, which is, uh, <laughs> I'm curious about what the status is. Chris Rodas in Madison, Mississippi? MS is Mississippi, right? Reminds us about the spray-on nanocapacitor antennas. Remember those? I was cleaning uh, up my bookmarks this morning, came across a bookmark for ShamTech, which was shamtechops.com. They had a spray-on antenna kit you could buy. 
no longer on their website, but I started to do a little research. I came across an article. They partnered with an investment banking firm, Hickey Fryhoffner Capital. So maybe things are starting to happen. Did you ever hear from anyone who actually used the product? Was it a TED Talk or something like that? Oh, no, it was a Solve for X Intel Talk or something like that. Chris um, Rodas, thanks for all the hard and, work. And what I remember, you know, to refresh our memories, remember they like sprayed it on a rock? Yeah. And it, tur it turned the rock into an antenna? Yeah. And they sprayed it on a tree. Yeah. And it turned a tree into an antenna. Yeah. Nano, and, nano antennas on this something. Yeah. Yeah, and and it, it was nanocapacitors, some sort of a wacky nanocapacitor emulsion, which they claim, ra you know, radiates in an amazing way. And 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 so I did follow the link and the the uh, and it was f sfgate.com, you know, on their their PR yeah. website about this. They're they're partnering with a an investment banking firm, apparently. There's huge interest being shown by everyone who listened to our podcast who want to spray rocks. And so they need to raise some, some capital. In why did they to... take it off their uh, website? I am still... Yeah, I know. I agree. And we have a friend of ours who listens who's a big antenna guy. I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now. But I remember he you know, waved his arms around and shouted and said, no, 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 no. I'm, I, I design antennas. You can't, you can't spray rocks. So, <laughs> oh, so it, I, was it, I mean. Wait, could it be Spencer Webb? Is that somebody? No, no. I'm, that, 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 that's, that's somebody from PC Week, I think. I, I have to say, when I go to their website, it is not think, inspiring. No, it's a little um, scary, isn't it? What do they have on there? It looks like a nineteen or eighteen nineties mechanical, yeah, Pterosopterus uh, or something. Yeah, I uh, maybe to let the domain go. Yeah. Well, the other possibility is since they say we proudly serve a variety of government and military agencies, is that maybe no, this is the same company. Maybe they just maybe the maybe somebody bought it. Maybe the feds said, you know, you might not want to talk about this anymore. Who well, knows? Okay, so, yeah, I mean, it's hard to guess. They, they, they said, our decision to engage Hickey Freihofner Capital is a significant step in helping us realize our vision of improving the range, energy efficiency, and quality of the devices we all use to stay connected, all said right. Anthony J. Sutera, co-founder, CEO, and president. Oh, I wonder if he's also a Navy SEAL. <laughs> the antenna applications of NCAP, ooh, they got an acronym now, NCAP technology are virtually limitless. Hey, if you've got rocks and trees covered, pardon the pun, then I suppose you pretty that much is pretty can good. turn That's anything you want. Unlimited. From improving cell phone reception to enabling consumers to access wireless services from almost anywhere. Didn't they spray it on a wall? Yeah. yeah I mean, I remember Brick the story. It was, kind of, it was wacky. It was, it was fun. Yeah. Anyway, so they've patented it, but that didn't mean anything because the people patent, you know, oh, wind up steamrollers and they things. Patent so, things like, yeah. uh, well, I don't, don't get me started on patent law. <laughs> that could be a long no. conversation. William Parsley, I love your name, William. And oh, hi, oh, had a random question. About a year ago, your podcast was brought up by a student in one of my classes. He was recommending the podcast to someone else, but I overheard it. I was intrigued. I decided to check it out next time. I had some free time. Well, I've been listening to Security Now from the beginning for a little less than a year now, I think, and I'm up to episode 167. Oh, you got a way to go there, Mr. Parsley. You got you're not even halfway there. 
I feel like I've learned a ton from your podcast I wasn't getting from school or books. I'm not sure if that's because of the approach you use to present things or the fact that the constant content is consistently relevant to today's world. And this is taking into account I'm not even in the year 2009. <laughs> It's almost and like now a, all the content is gone off the website, oh. so he's unable to listen to anything. Well, now we still have all the content. It's just I know, your version, and, and, and it'll be back. Now. It'll be back later today because I'm obviously not going to go to sleep anytime yeah, soon. Steve does, oh dear Steve, you should get some sleep. It's okay. <laughs> Steve does 16 kilobit and transcripts and so forth, but we still have the uh, vi- uh, you know the high quality audio and video, so he can still get it. Um, it's almost like a soap opera where I can't wait till the next week to see if the problem that's brought up in the show has been addressed by Microsoft, by Google, by Wells Fargo, or whoever it is that had the problem in the earlier episode. One random off-topic thing you said that caught my attention has been haunting me. You mentioned in one of the recent episodes, well, recent for me, that is, you carry around an iPod with background music on it. This is kind of an odd request, but I'd really be curious to know what you have as your background music. I've been looking for something like that, but the music always distracts me. It's... I like listening to it, I guess, instead of working. Not a question. just wanted to say thanks to you and Leo for putting out a wonderful podcast. I travel a decent amount for work, and this podcast makes it easy. What do you listen so, to? Oh, look at So He's holding up CDs, folks. Yes. Um, I really, really like this. There's, it's a series of 10 uh, called Liquid Mind, and the artist is Chuck Wild. And it's not for everybody. It is, I mean, if you tend to doze, this will knock you right off. I mean, I could listen to it right now. <laughs> and, and I wouldn't be able to finish the sentence. Um, He's a daytime Emmy nominee. It is, some of it is just beautiful. It's, it's I think it's synthetic. Um, oh, it's sort of it chords merging and blending and... There's clear composition involved. Many of the pieces I've actually really come, like I'll stop and listen to it. But, you know, don't worry, William, that's not normally what I do. But it is, it's perfect for, for when you want to fill the background to blank out noise, yet you don't want to, you know, you just want to relax and you want to read or, well, no, I guess when Leo's reading, he's listening. But so you want to do something where you want an audio background and i think i have 40 hours up this is it listen go to sleep uh, i'll play it for the oh, beginning that really did almost put me out <laughs> <laughs> can i make a suggestion yeah because i have seen studies that say the best music to listen to if you want to keep thinking but not be obviously anything with lyrics is out because, you know, we're going to start listening to lyrics and then you're not being able to program or whatever. So it's got to be instrumental. Oh, I can't. Absolutely can't. Yeah. So I have... Got to be instrumental. My, my employees used to tease me because I had, you know, my music was filling the company. And they said, yeah, Steve's l- music with no lyrics. I'm like, going to make a suggestion. I have seen research that says Baroque classical music. Bach. For me, for me it's Vivaldi. I love... Vivaldi, Vivaldi. Purcell. Yep. It's very bright, very upbeat, no lyrics, and I have seen many studies that say that actually you can uh, you can listen to that, and it will actually improve your productivity. The only problem I have with it is it sometimes can be a little too engaging. You know, they'll they'll have little they'll they'll have crescendos and like things happening, and you're yeah. like, whoa! You know, very little happens in Chuck Wilde's no. Liquid Mind. It's the- <laughs> it's the kind of music that they play when I get a massage, and frankly, uh, it just puts me right out. 
Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. And so anyway, that, that that's the answer to William's question. I, I love it. So if anyone else is interested, check it wherever you found it, Leo. I guess other people it's, could it, like it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Liquid, liquid uh, music. Li- Liquidmindmusic.com. Oh, perfect. And it's on iTunes as well. You can buy it from iTunes. I, um, yeah. <laughs> I, give me give me Baroque. Hey, it doesn't have to be for you. It's it, for give me. Give me Baroque. I like the Baroque. Yeah. Little Brandenburg Concerto. I don't. This is oh, just, number three in G major. Yeah, that's beautiful. That is the best thing ever written. Does it distract? I, I can't do L. Are you kidding me? Really? That, my world comes to a halt if yeah. if Brandenburg Concerto number three in G no, major right. is playing. It's like okay, that's pretty it's just, good. It's oh my yeah. god, it's so yeah. well done. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. Brandenburg may be too good. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> a lot of Vivaldi. Uh, you know, um, I listen to water music. Um, there's, you know, there's some good stuff out there that just will, it's bright, but won't, uh, won't get you going. And I see, I, I don't, I'm not big into the new age sound, which is what the, yeah, this is, this is kind of. So Cruz Kova just tweeted. He says, Hey Steve, I have those CDs too. He says, I can't focus without them. So, I mean, they certainly them. don't distract. You're not going to stop and go, Ooh, what's that? Actually, there is one that I do stop on one particular composition out of about 40 of them, uh, Oh, that, that might be the one, actually. This is relaxing. I'm afraid it'd be too relaxing for me. You, I bet you, because you work in oh. Starbucks and stuff, I bet you you part of the reason you do this is to, is not so much for the music, but to seal out the outside world. That, as I was saying, it is a be- if, if you were, like, trying to read print on a train right. or on a bus or on a plane. You can't hear anything. You, yeah, you don't hear right. anything else. And that's really more right. the point than the music itself. Just to, it's just some something you know. You could almost listen to white noise, except that's not quite as attractive. Yeah, I, as I just think that's lovely. Yeah, because <laughs> I got enough going on. I'm twitchy enough. I, yeah, I, I you could some. use a little. You all that coffee you drink. <laughs> How much? Just that, now. I know people want to know this. You you didn't. You were up all night. You haven't slept in 24 hours. Correct. What coffee uh, brews are you using? What are you using to stay awake? Actually, I. Um, I have something I like so much. I'm fantasizing about somehow arranging to have you taste it because oh. it's just it's it's so good. Um, but I, I this is the end of my third pot, and Holy around cow. eleven, I thought, well, I'm going to stay up all night, so let's start having some coffee. I really had a ball. Last so what night. is it? A bean that you like here? What is going on? What is it? This? Is, it's not exotic at all. That's the thing. But for example. At Starbucks the other day, I had my crew. I pour, I got the little espresso paper cups, and I poured some from my from my canteen in, into my little cup. I said, "Just try this. This is and real coffee." Like, <laughs> yeah, and they're all like, they got frou frou, and they've got cream and sugar and everything to like you know mm. manage what Starbucks gives them. And they like they couldn't believe how good it was. Jenny, said, is it the just, bean? What is it? What is you got to give us a hint here? So here it is. It's just Starbucks. Espresso bean, ah. and I I grind it for drip, and then I drip it through my little brown paper Melita filter. Sounds thing, fabulous. Uh, using my little whatever that wacky you knew the name of that silver pot that is like a five cup yeah sort of thing yeah mocha that, pot yeah whatever. Anyway, it is it is so you get it's the dark roast. It's actually lighter in caffeine because as we know espresso has right. less caffeine right. than than lighter grind or light, mm-hmm. lighter roast mm-hmm. because roasting roasts the caffeine out of the bean um and it's but i don't do decaf because decaf is scary processing um 
And oh my God, Leo, it's just, it's still, and I just, you know, black, no cream, no sugar. And it's just, it's a smooth, amazing cup of coffee. Just the espresso bean uh, ground for drip and dripped. You have Trader Joe's down there, right? Oh, we do. Next time you're at Trader Joe's, get a can of the Kona, the good okay. Kona. It's expensive. Okay. I don't I th- care. I'll try it. Uh, it's, I think you might even like it better. I'll try it. It's a, it's, it, is the, it is the most smooth, delicious coffee I've ever had. So good. No kidding. Oh, yeah. Oh, neat. I'll, uh, I'm, I'm, Kona, okay. If you can get a good Kona pea bean, you're getting the best, in my opinion. Okay. It's also uh, among the most expensive coffees in the world, but it's very well. Good. And if I mean, and Trader Joe's generally is pretty affordable. So I'll yeah, it's not it's, bad. It's they, not bad. They've, got, they've brought it at the best price you, you right. can get. It. And they have a good Kona. It's really good. Now, I I actually don't use it because I'm using making espresso. It's a waste of good Kona. Uh, when I do the press, I do the uh, Kona. But for the espresso, I just we have a local coffee roaster here who does something called Godfather's Roar, which is just right for me. <laughs> It's a coffee I can't refuse. You have a roaster. Wow, <laughs> I'm so jealous. And a personal trainer. Oh, and, I get the whole and thing. And a masseuse, apparently, where, because you don't want that music playing during your massage. I, I, you know, I used to get massages every week, and I've, I've, I stopped doing that because uh, I was too relaxed. <laughs> yeah. Now I just get You've them as needed. You've all noticed that's a problem I, with the people on the Twit Network. I get them on demand. All too relaxed. Yeah, I guess for uh, President's Day, maybe I'll get a massage. You know, actually, what we is, have a... Is that all, Monday? It's Monday. We have an all-day... This is funny. Lisa and I have... Normally, Friday's a day off. We have, we're have. we going to take all day. We're meeting uh, with patent attorneys all day. It's an all-day affair. I'll tell you offline. Oh. But uh, um, uh, as a reward, at 5 p.m., she booked us a massage. <laughs> it's like, if you're going to spend your day off... Ten hours with attorneys, you deserve something, a reward that at the end of that. Oof. Cool. I don't think even Kona is going to help me on this one. Steve Gibson does this show every Wednesday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Come uh, hell or high rise. Come he-, he does not stop. And I Thank may goodness. not have slept, so I'll still be rising. Holy, you better get some sleep. I don't. I want you to, you're yeah, going to start hallucinating. Nah. I think my the most I went was three days. Oh! I rewrote the entire I.O. Uh, system of an interdata operating system, changed it at Bob's Big Boy on a pad of engineering paper. Jiminy. Uh, in a three-day, no sleep, because Bob's Big Boy was 24 hours. Sure. Yeah, oh, yeah. Is. Oh, yeah. And uh, I like their chowder. That's where and, finer programmers go to. <laughs> All the best. Sat there and ate French fries and drank coffee and uh, and and rewrote the whole I/O system, um, and it worked. So it, and I did that a couple times, but three days is about my limit. Uh, you know, I, I think I am getting old because the idea of going without any sleep of any kind is just a pain. And you should know, I'm I'm a big sleeper. I mean, this is Good. this I'm is not something that. I do often. I was watching uh, Morning Joe a couple weeks ago, and I was really surprised they were sort of. Talking around about how little sleep they get, and well, they do a morning Jenny show. She said, "Oh, you know, well, exactly. That's part of the problem." Yeah. And, and she said, "Oh, you know, it's sort of macho not to get you know, right. not to need that much sleep." And I said, "Well, you know, I mean, I, I'm really an eight hours a night person Me too. because yeah. I know it's so important. It is anti-inflammatory. Yep. It, you know, your body needs it to to recover. And uh, no, it's you know, it's important I, I'm, for health. I'm I agree. A, you I, you're putting your you're taking life in your hands here, Steve." Yeah, well, we got to get the videos and the audio back on, <laughs> All this, right, on the okay. site. So I'm, I'm headed to level three right now. Steve Gibson, grc.com. That's the website you must go to. 
later today, the 16 kilobit versions of all the shows will be back <laughs> online, as will the transcriptions that Elaine does, the actual English language written by a human transcriptions of each and every episode. We have the uh, 64 kilobit MP3s and the video in a variety of formats on our site, twit.tv slash SN, and wherever uh, better uh, internet programming is made available. That would include iTunes, the Zoom Marketplace. Uh, on your phone, there's a variety of uh, things like um, a Stitcher, for instance. You can listen to Security Now, and I encourage you and to do YouTube so. has it now. YouTube.com slash Security Now. Yeah, yeah, that's another spot for it. Thank you, Steve Arino. Thanks, Leo. We'll see you next time on Security Now. Security Now.